Well, good morning. I hope you're all having a wonderful day. You ever have one of those days where you're just like, look, I'm not ready. That's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm not going to be honest. So usually when I teach with the youth, I come up and there's a song. So uh, I'm just going to ask just so I can get myself ready and you can get ready for what's about to come. Uh, can you just play my song, Christian? We're just, I just need to prep for this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah. Get some stretching in here. This, this is what's happening today. I hope you're ready for this. Well, I'm Nick. I'm the director of student ministries here at Olive Branch. And uh, uh, yeah, you're applauding because you know I get to throw dodgeballs at kids. That's my job. So uh, yeah, it is a great job. I'm actually joined. My wife is here. Her name's Selena. And we have, we have a one-year-old boy. His name is Stark. This is him right here on his first birthday. Yep, that's Stark. He uh, turned one. He had no idea what was happening. We gave him a hat and a cupcake, and he, uh, he wasn't sure if he was in trouble or he was being treated, so he just was so panicked. But yeah, that's our boy Stark. Uh, we named him Stark after Tony Stark, you know, Iron Man. So uh, that's, you're getting a full load of it this morning. You know, when we got Stark, he suffered with uh, separation anxiety, and dogs often do. And so the thing about Stark is when we were gone, more so when I was gone, a little bit less when Selena was gone, but when I was gone mostly, uh, he would get separation anxiety. And so he would bark and everything. And, and he's pretty much like our home has become his home. So he's getting a little bit more comfortable. But uh, even now, after we've had him for several months, he still at night, just he gets nervous and he, he, it's dark and he doesn't really know what's going on. So when he's nervous, he ends up barking at every little sound. And uh, we used to put a little bed for him and, and then he would eat his own bed and, and that's just not good for dogs. And so he would just eat it. He'd just freak out. And isn't it true though that, uh, that we're not much different? Isn't it true that like we're, it, it might not, you might not be afraid of the dark, but when you're in dark times, when you're in a situation, when you're not sure like when God or if God will ever show up, that you start to bark a little bit and you start to, maybe you don't eat your bed, but you might eat comfort food or something, uh, right? Isn't it true that we act the exact same way? And that's really the situation that we're going to be studying today. It's the situation that's going on right here in Exodus. And we started looking at this story last week. And, and right here, what you, what you need to pick up is, is there's an escalation. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews shall be cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So the escalation that we saw this week, that we're seeing this week, that we didn't see last week. So last week, it was the midwives. The midwives were commanded to throw all the Hebrew boys into the Nile. Now this week, Pharaoh has upped it. He's saying all his people now will throw the, the boys into the Nile. And that's, that now things are, are getting even more tense, right? For if, if you're a Hebrew, I, they're, get, they're told that their child, their children are going to be cast into the Nile. And clearly Pharaoh wants to exterminate the Hebrews. And if they don't believe that, they're in denial. <laughs> I know, I know. Just prepare yourselves for this. So in Egyptian culture, in ancient Egyptian culture, the, the Nile was a big deal. It was a big deal for the, the, the Egyptians. And 
And the Nile represented, ironically, fertility and prowess. So for them to cast the child into the Nile, uh, it was actually kind of like a, uh, a dedication, if you will, to an Egyptian deity. And I won't try to pronounce his name, but there's an Egyptian deity. This deity was the giver of the Nile, also the creator of humankind. The deity uh, looked like a human, but with a ram's head. So kind of looked like some people at SoFi Stadium when the Rams play and acted as a rival to Yahweh, our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Hebrews. Those were rivals. And that brings us to a really important point. And the point that we really, I think, need to start off with, we need to connect with this point right away, is that the nature of this conflict, the nature of the conflict that this law, this Pharaoh is commanding law between him and the Hebrews, the nature of the conflict is a war of ways. It's a war between gods, and it always is. All the conflicts are always a war of ways. They're always a war of ideologies. They're always a war of authorities. In fact, Paul picks up on this, and he communicates this in this way. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We need to know who is not our enemies. What Paul is saying here is who is not our enemies, that's we don't fight against people. We fight for people. We fight against the ideologies of the world for the sake of the world. We're fighting for people, not against people. We're fighting against ideologies for the sake of the world. And it's important to know that. It's important to know who is our enemy and who is not our enemy. We are at war with ideologies and with philosophies. We're at war with the destructive ways of the world because those ways do bring death. Since we're talking about death, I think it's interesting that you should know that the last part of your body to die is your pupils because they dilate. <clears throat> so now we go into Exodus 2. Some of you are a little late on that, but um, that's okay. So now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. So uh, we... we you know, you ever read the Bible and you just read through it and you don't really actually like delve into what is actually happening? Do you ever do that? You just read it and you're kind of like going through the motions. Put yourself in this situation for a moment. A man and a woman get married and then she gets pregnant. But she gets pregnant not just like, you know, in our days you get pregnant, that's great. But in a time where you have a 50-50 shot, depending on if your child is a boy or a girl, if you're gonna even actually get to raise your own child, or if your child's gonna be cast into a river to die. That's the situation that's actually happening right here. And, and it's so intense. I mean, what do you do? I mean, what a terrifying time to be getting pregnant. Uh, I mean, imagine gender reveal parties <laughs> this time, right? How intense would it be? It, it would be just insane. And for nine months, you'd be wondering, am I going to have a boy or a girl? And then you wonder, like, if you have a boy, what do you do? Do you defy the order? Because if you defy the order, I'm sure there's going to be consequences, right? You're disobeying Pharaoh himself, the law himself. So what do you do? 
Do you defy that order for the sake of your child at the risk of your own life? This is intense. And I think sometimes when we read through a story like this, maybe we don't pick up on that. Maybe we just kind of read through and like, yeah, it's just a normal historical story. But no, it's, it, I mean, it's more than that. We, we need to pick up on that. We need to connect with that. And I mean, what an, what an intense time. And then it gets worse. We find out that this woman does have a boy. And so you know what the fate of this child is. She has a boy, and actually it says uh, it's a fine child, or you can, you can actually translate that as a, a very cute boy. Right? So um, if you ever get asked, hopefully you don't, if you ever get asked, hey, is my baby cute? The right answer is just yes, okay? Just whether the baby looks like an alien or something, or it's cute or not, just say yes. And if you can't bring yourself to lie in a situation like that, just say, well, not as cute as the baby in, in, in Exodus 2, all right, at least there's a way out. So if you like, are ever put in that situation, you're like, I really, I really don't want to lie. So uh, Exodus 2, there's your way out. But, so she has this baby, and she tries to hide her baby. She tries to hide her boy. And then three months comes along. And I don't have a kid. I have a dog. But uh, what I'm told is that at three months, the child starts teething. And so I think that's probably what's happening here is three months in, this child starts teething and crying. And it's probably extremely difficult for her to hide this baby now. And so she has to figure something out. And what she does is extremely odd to us. When we read this, this is just so weird. It's so weird that she would put this child in a basket and drift it off into a river, right? I mean, we, what, what are the odds there? Like when she put her child in a basket, what are the chances that a child is going to survive floating in a river? I mean, one in a million, right? There's, like, there's no chance here. It, she, she keeps the baby, and the child is going to be destroyed by an Egyptian. Or, like, she's thinking her best chance is actually to put this child into a floating basket and just hope for the best. I hope. I mean, what's going to happen? You're just hoping someone finds this child down the river? What, what do you even hope for? This is one in a million. It really it is. That's the best way you could say it. This is no chance. This is one in a million. This child's not going to survive. And, and don't miss this. She puts the child in a basket. You know that word for basket is the exact same word that's used in Genesis 6? And if you don't know, Genesis 6 is the story of Noah's Ark. The word for basket is the exact same word that's used for ark in the story of Noah's Ark. I don't think this woman is just trusting in this basket, just throwing up a Hail Mary. I think she's actually trusting in the Lord. I think she's saying this, Lord, I don't know what's going on. I am out of control. I have no hope. There's a one in a million chance. Here's what I am going to do. I know who you are. I know what you can do. You delivered the people in Noah's day through an ark. Maybe, just maybe, you can deliver my baby through this ark. I think that's exactly what she's doing. I think she's actually throwing up a prayer to God saying, Lord, here's the ark. I'm giving him to you. I don't think she's just going off of luck and chance. There is no chance. It's one in a million. And, and, and that, that brings up a point. I, I, I think sometimes we might get this confused. You know, faith is not blind. It's not. Faith is not blind. That's not, in fact, if you have blind faith, you don't have faith at all. Faith is trusting in the Lord because of what he's already done. You know, God never changes. He's the same today as he was yesterday, and he'll be the same forever and ever. So when you're trusting in the Lord, you're not trusting in him out of blind faith, like, well, hey, I don't know if he will or what he will, but you know what? I'll just trust in him, and there's nothing you can say about it, right? No, are you, are you that convinced of something you know nothing about? Of course not. 
The reason why you're convinced that the Lord can is because he has, right? You're trusting right now in your present circumstances because of the past, what God has done, what God is doing, and because of the future, what he will do. That's why we trust in the Lord. It is not blind at all, not by any means. So what was all that one in a million talk? I don't know if you've ever seen Dumb and Dumber, if you haven't. <clears throat> it wasn't, it, was, it wasn't uh, so much of a, of a Hail Mary. It was a trust in the Lord. It was when the world was dark that N God gave Noah the ark. And that's what she was hoping for. And so back in Exodus 2, we need to notice something. You know, she, uh, she does build this ark and she sends her baby off in the ark. And, and one thing that's interesting you'll notice is that she disobeys the order. You pick up on that, Right? The order was that she, would to give, she was to give her child over to Egypt and that that baby would be thrown into the river. And she disobeys the order. She is disobeying the law. This woman has now become unlawful. And so sometimes this is the case. Sometimes I will not follow a law. Sometimes I cannot follow a law. There are just some laws that I cannot and will not follow. And we need to have a clear biblical understanding if we ever step into a situation like this. And this is not something we should step into eagerly, okay? There are situations where God says something and the law says something else. And in this type of situation, what do we even do as Christians? What's the right thing to do? And the right thing to do is to know biblically what to do in this situation. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. And 1 Peter says this. He says, servants, that's us, Christians, be subject to your masters with all respect not only the good and gentle, but also the unjust. First, first, we want to be law-abiding citizens. As Christians, we want to be law-abiding citizens. And that includes even laws that we don't like. There are laws we don't like, but we are to be law-abiding citizens. Even when they're not just, we are to be law-abiding citizens. Anyone can follow a law they like. What makes us different is that we follow laws even that we don't like, and then we try to change them legally. We follow laws even if we don't like them. The law is the fabric that holds a society together. The law gives power to the weak. The law makes the rich respect the poor. The law brings order to an otherwise chaotic people by nature. We respect the law. I support law and order. I oppose anarchy and chaos. We all should. And that's what the Bible says, that we should uphold the law and we should support and follow laws even if we don't like them. But the Bible does say to be respectful toward authority and that there are often times when the law conflicts with my moral convictions that are built on biblical authority, right? There are sometimes those cases. And so what do we do? What about when the, they pass laws and, and it goes against our convictions? And, and here's what Peter said. Peter was preaching to people about Jesus after Jesus had died and, and Peter got it and he understood that Jesus is the only way of salvation and he's preaching the gospel just as Jesus himself told him to do. Matthew 28, the last thing Jesus says before he's going up into heaven, right? And, and when he goes up into heaven, he ascends and sits at the right hand of the Father in order to proclaim that he has full authority and even says that to Peter and the rest of the disciples. And so, what Jesus says is, hey, I have all authority, and with that authority, here is what I say to you. Here's my command to you. Here's not my recommendation. Here's not what I hope you do. This is what you will do if you follow me. That's Jesus saying. 
What you will do if you follow me is you will share the gospel with every person that walks the earth. You will spread that gospel across the entire world. And so Peter, following that command, goes and they say, Peter, you cannot, will not share this gospel anymore. And Peter's response, who am I to serve? Am I to obey God or am I to obey men? And the obvious response to that is, yes, we're going to obey God because he has a greater authority. And we will obey our leaders, we will obey the law, but we will not disobey God. And so when the two conflict, we will obey God. There are times, unfortunately, where we have to disobey the law. And it's not something we look forward to. It's not something we're even excited about. It's something that we do with dread to disobey the law. But we will not disobey God. The Bible is very clear about this. Uh, I'll give you an example. Last year, we had a difficult choice, just like that. And, and we were told we're not allowed to meet in person. And, and when you get confronted with a situation like that, I know that's tense. And for some of you, you're like, oh, here we go. It's about to get political. It was already political. Uh, as soon as Pharaoh required abortion, it, it became political. So, hey, I'm not warning you about politics in order for you to prepare you to put your guard up. It's just the opposite. Hey, we're part of the same family, the same team. I'm asking you to let's just set our political guards down for a second and be on the same team. We're all serving the same master, are we not? And so what I want to point out is we are told in Scripture that we are to go to church. We are to be at church. That's what God says in and uh, whoever the author of Hebrews is, some say Paul, some have disagreements on that. But nonetheless, the Bible, through God himself says, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Catch this. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are not to neglect meeting with one another. We are to go to church. The Bible says that we are to go to church. And so this brings up a very difficult situation. And, and that's the example I'm using is, what about when we are told that we are not to go to church? And so what do we do if the government bans us? Well, the Bible doesn't say meet if it's legal. The Bible says don't neglect going to church. What about safety? Well, let me remind you that the generation that this was written to, they were being persecuted. They were being tarred. And feathered, they were being burned alive at the stake. They were being tortured in, the, in front of everybody. They were not concerned with their safety when it came to meeting together as a church. The Bible doesn't say meet when it's safe. The Bible says meet. And, and hear me on this. Uh, I know that there are situations where it would be extremely dangerous. Where if you were to step in a room with, like maybe, like I'll speak to the online audience right now. I know for a fact, in fact, the online audience is listening live. So camera one, ready, go. I'm speaking to you online audience. I know some of you are struggling with cancer treatment and you're recovering for that. And you're home because you need to be home and you should be home, right? There are, there are those examples. Camera two, go. I don't actually know which one's camera two. That camera, left camera. I know that some of you are recovering from illnesses and some serious things and you need to know. I think there's a camera right here. <clears throat> camera piano. I know that you guys are, hi, by the way, up close, wink. I know that you guys are having a tough time, and you're home because you have a serious reason to be home. Let's come back to camera one. <clears throat> now, I know there are people that are home. They're home. You're home because you need to be home. It's the right thing for you to be home. It's, it's the, 
the best chance at life is for you to be at home, right? Because it might actually be a serious thing. But I know there are some of you that are at home, camera three. I know you, camera three. I know you're home, and on your second screen, you got a football game up. And I'm, I, I know this is the case. And so for you, what I hope is that you would come back and you would join us. What I, what I know is if, if you're home and you're sitting there watching a football game, you're watching a football game, you're choosing you versus we. You're choosing comfort and convenience over coming here and being a part of a congregation that loves you and needs what you have to offer. So my hope is that at the end of the season, you would return to us <clears throat> and join us. I want you to seriously consider this question. If, if you're still at home and, and watching online, I, I'm glad that you're watching online, and I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm, I, I want to encourage you. Uh, I want to ask you this question. At what point will you decide to come back? What will be the thing that needs to happen for you to come back? And that's for you to answer. I'm not going to tell you how to answer that question. You come up with that answer, and then when you do come up with that answer, I hope that you stick to that answer. And I do hope that you would at some point return and so regarding the topic of legal obedience, we're supposed to obey the law, but first we're going to obey God. And so here's three things that I want to point out about this specific topic, legal obedience. One is rebellion, okay? So some of us fall, including myself, I'm preaching myself right here, some of us fall into this category where we are too eager to disobey the law, right? Some of us are just so eager, like, well, I don't care what the law says, this is my conviction, Right? Some of us, if we just disagree with the law, and then we'll spin it to try to make the Bible say something to disobey the God. And we're just too eager to be rebellious. Some of us fall, including myself, we fall into this category. We're too eager. It doesn't have anything to do with our legal convictions, our, our, our actual moral, biblical convictions. It's just that we don't want to follow the law. And for others of us, we fall into this category, resignation, where we're too eager to surrender to the law and compromise our biblical convi convictions. Some of us fall into this category where you're just like, look, they said I can't preach the gospel, I don't wanna make anybody mad. You're too eager to give up to the law something more important, which is your biblical convictions. Too eager to give up what you were called to do by God himself. What we need to do is find a happy medium. We need to be respectful. We need to be respectful, we need to be eager to obey all laws that are passed by the authorities above us. And we need to respect the people who pass laws above us. And that's something I don't do very well. I have a lot to say about corrupt political leaders. And I say it, and I probably shouldn't, and I have gotten in trouble. And so there is that side of it, right? I need to be respectful to my leaders, even the ones I disagree with. But at the same time, I need to when a law comes in that I cannot follow because it goes away from what God has already told me to do, at that point, I need to respectfully disobey. At that point, I have to submit to a greater authority than the law, and I need to respectfully disobey. And it's not what I want to do. It's what I must do because I'm ultimately going to answer to him regardless of what I do here. I need to answer to him. So part of trusting the Lord is just remembering this. Do you not know that God is the ultimate judge? Is he not? Is God not going to judge everything down here? So do we need to, in our time, try to uh, control everything? Do we need to try to have our own justice and bring our own justice to this world? 
No, we don't. That's not even our role. That's not even what we're called to do. We're supposed to bring the gospel to the world. God will bring the justice to the world. Let God be God. Let us be man and woman. Let's just know our role and shut our mouth. (laughs) Do what we're supposed to do. Right? Know your role. Let God be God. He's much better at it. We don't need to be rebels for justice. So returning to our story, we have in Exodus 2, the sister here, the sister of the, the boy that was put into a basket, uh, stood at a distance to follow what is happening with this basket, this boy in the basket. So she's trying to see what's going on, and she wants to follow him. And so uh, the daughter of Pharaoh comes down into the river to bathe, and she's with all her young women. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent for a servant woman, and she took it. And then when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' women. As we return to this story, I want to point out that this child was rescued, but not in the way that the woman had hoped. She was hoping that the child would be rescued, definitely not by an Egyptian, right? And that's exactly what happens. And so what I have to tell you is that sometimes there are outcomes that are not the happy outcome. Sometimes you want what's best for your child, and you definitely don't want your child raised in that situation, and that's exactly what God's going to have happen, right? You, you know that a, a Hebrew woman, the last thing they want to do is to have their child raised by the same people that are trying to commit genocide against their people. They want to eradicate everything about them, their gods, their ways, everything about them off the earth, including their race. And, and so now you're going to have your child potentially be raised in that environment by those people. That's not what she wants. And I can't promise you a, a happy outcome. I can't promise you that the story, the dark time that you're in is going to have a happy outcome. It might not go the way you want. That's, what I, that's the promise that I have to offer. In fact, what the Bible says is that you will be persecuted for righteousness sake. I can tell you this, if you're going to follow Jesus and you follow him long enough, you will be persecuted. That's the promise that God offers through the Bible. And, and sometimes uh, in a situation like this, it, it kind of brings to, to mind, sometimes there's a, an argument that people who are pro-abortion, they, they make this argument. And one of the arguments they make is the quality of life argument. Well, what if you have this child and you don't abort it and, they're, and, and they have to live in this terrible situation? What if you have a child and you know, they get born to a very poor family, a family of parents who don't even care about them, a family of parents who aren't even going to try to raise this child the way you would want a child raised. And that's kind of probably the situation that this lady is thinking as she sees her child get picked up and is going to be raised then by an Egyptian princess. She's probably just like, what's, this, what's their life going to be? What's their life going to amount to? I mean, they're not even going to be raised Hebrew. In fact, the name that's given to this child, and I'm going to have the worship team go ahead and come on up. The name that's given to this child is not even a Hebrew name. It's an Egyptian name. And you may have already picked up on this in the story, but the child that's being spoke of here, his name is Moses. And if you don't know the story of Moses, Moses ends up delivering his people, the Hebrews, out of bondage and slavery from the Egyptians. He is sent by God to deliver them. And so sometimes there might be a situation where you think this is not the way. And in that argument that comes up where that pro-abortion 
person says, hey, what about the quality of life? Their life might be hard. And what I would say to them is, look, just because a life is hard does not mean a life does not have value. Every life has value. Even the life that is hard, it has value. God gave that life value. God gives every person. We are all created in the image of God. And therefore, we have value. And we have so much value. Here's the value. Here's how much God said you value. Here's your value. The most valuable thing that has ever stepped foot on this planet is God himself. When he came into this world as Jesus, as a man, and that was the price that was paid, his life, we killed the most valuable person that has ever lived. God himself, more valuable than the universe itself, that life was given in exchange for yours. That's your value. And so your life might be hard. Your times might be hard. You might go through dark times. That does not mean you have no value. You do. It was already declared. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go into a song. And I want to remind you that God has already done so much, right? We already talked about Noah. God went and he rescued all of humanity through Noah. He can do it again. God went and he rescued the Hebrews from Egypt through Moses. He can do it again. God went and he saved David from King Saul. He can do it again. God went and he let his son die on a cross so he could save all humanities from the consequences of sin and death. He can do it again. Mm -hmm. He can do it again. Let's pray. Father, we know what you've done. We thank you for what you've done. Lord, we trust in you not because it's blind faith. It's not blind at all. We know what you have done. We know who you are. You are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. If you've done it before, you can do it again. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. you stand with us as we worship, praising God for everything he's done and everything that he's going to do. Like Nick said, we can rest in that. We can lean into that because we've seen him do it from the beginning of time. Yes. Amen. You can clap for that for sure. It doesn't matter how dark it is. It doesn't matter how broken we feel. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Why? Why? Why do we put so much emphasis on the stuff? I'm guilty, I do it. So let's just remember who he is, what he's done, what he's going to do, and what we are supposed to do to honor that. Yes. Yes, amen. Let's sing.
I purposely left this part out so that we can come into it and check this out. The story picks up where we just left it off. It says, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So so the girl went and called the child's mother. The girl went and called the child's mother. Moses' mother came and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse him for me and I will give you wages. Listen to this. The child, the the mother of Moses chose to trust in God, put him on the ark and said, you know what, God, I don't know what you're doing right now, but I'm going to trust that you have something you can redeem our people. You can do something in this situation. And what she did is she trusted God. Not only does she get to raise her child, but she gets to get paid while she raises her child. Oh my goodness. We have a great God. Do we not? And I know some of you, you're in dark times. You're walking around these walls and you're just hoping that some of these walls start to fall down. You're hoping by now they would fall. And you're wondering, God, when or if are you going to show up? Where are you, God? And I know some of you, you have some serious things that are going on right now. You have dark times. I want to invite you right now. If you are one of those people, you have dark times and, and aren't we all? Why don't you just come, come forward? Come forward right now because I want to pray for you. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come forward. If you're an elder, if you're on staff and you'd like to come forward, why don't you go ahead and come forward right now? If you're going through those dark times and you're just saying, I just wish God would step into this situation. Look, I don't know what God is doing through this, but I hope he steps up and does something. I want you to come forward, come pray. This is your opportunity right now. Don't leave today without getting prayer.